This podcast brought to you by TechSmith. More A3 is software that helps you see things from your customer's point of view, so you can make things that are truly fast, powerful, and easy to use. By BlackBot, making the world a better place by providing technology solutions and support to nonprofit organizations around the world. By OptimalSort, with an elegant user interface, powerful analysis, and outstanding support, OptimalSort can help you run card sorts better than you ever thought possible. By PowerMapper, mapping your site has never been easier. PowerMapper extracts links from each page of your site until it's mapped your entire site, providing you with a complete inventory. By Axure, enabling information architects and user experience professionals to design efficiently, experience their designs, and clearly communicate them, ensuring more useful and usable application. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For other events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. We are interacting with technology in an exploding number of forms. Traditional computers, cell phones, pocket PDAs, game systems, gesture-based input, store kiosks, checkouts, and much more. How do people learn new technology? By subconsciously learning the language of the interaction and applying that language when learning something new. Bill Derushi, Senior Interaction Designer with Ziba Design, surveys everyday objects out there now to spot patterns and trends in what people are learning from devices and products. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. So hi, um, my name is Bill Derushi. I do work with Ziba Design. We're a product design, experience design, pretty much any kind of fun design uh, company up in Portland, Oregon. And what I'm gonna talk about today is the language of interaction. And this is a talk about interfaces, it's about the connection between people and technology and what we can learn from that because whether your title is information architect, is interaction designer, is usability this, user experience that, whatever the heck that is, in the end we're all making interfaces. We're all making some ways that people interact with technology. So I wanna kinda of back up to that level and see what we can learn. And what I like to do is look at the everyday objects that surround us. You know, what can we actually learn from the objects that people have to figure out on their own? So you take one of these things home and have to figure out remote control. It's no wonder people are frustrated with technology because this is the kind of stuff that they're dealing with in daily life when they're not on the computer. So in a way, it's kind of a mixture of linguistics. It's a little bit of anthropology, a little bit of design, maybe some empathy for the user, but yeah, it's really just a lot of buttons. So I was kind of thinking back over the last day and a half, and one thing that's really interesting, I was trying to you know, understand, like, how does my talk fit into all this? And after listening to the previous day and a half talks, I was like, I was learning some, like, some, nice, some nice little threads in between what I have to say here the next time and uh, some other talks that we heard. So for example, earlier, Alberto talked about, we learned via what we already know as we'll see, we'll see some examples of that coming up in a little bit. Chris Crawford this morning, using verbs in interfaces. Dave Gray yesterday was talking about the book, and how the form of the book has not changed at all in the last you know, 500 years or so. And David yesterday noticed the micro-interactions. What's kind of strange is all these four threads, um, I'm gonna attempt to tie them together. This is like the good part and the bad part of speaking almost last at a conference. The good part is, you can reflect and be all fancy and, and footloose and bring us some slides at the very end. The bad part is, you have to wait to the very end. And you can't go drinking the night before. I think people did do that last night. 
Um, so the essential question I have here is, how do people learn how to use interfaces? And it seems like a boring question, but it's actually pretty interesting because people have to figure it out. Interfaces are not automatic. They are using their internal skills to understand how to use whatever it is that's in front of them. So I'm going to start off with a story. This is um, an oven that's at my cousin's house. About two Christmases ago, they just moved into a brand new house. They hosted the whole family over for Christmas, about 20 people, and they moved into the house two days prior. They had never used this oven before, um, you know, in her life, which is gold. Uh, as an interaction designer, my cousin and my sister are sitting there trying to figure out how to use this oven, because they're, they're interacting with it for the very first time. As an interaction designer, I could have jumped in and helped out, but it was a lot more fun to kind of sit back and watch them go through the torture and see the logic process that they're using. And of course, then have to explain to my aunt later, why am I taking pictures of their oven? <laughs> it's part of the hazards of the job. So they were looking at it kind of closely and they were looking for a start button. They were looking for a start button on their oven. And so I was thinking, wow, why, why are they looking for a start button? And of course, well, where is a start? why isn't there not a start button? There's a cancel button. And usually you see starting cancel as, as twins, as a pair. So naturally they're looking for a cancel button. We look a little bit closer, you know, here it is. And I went home later, and once I got home, and I looked for the start button on my stove um, oven. And sure enough, there's no start, start button there either. It's all about bake and broil and uh, clean, the one that you never use. Um, and I thought a little bit more, and I realized the microwave oven has a start button. So, you know, you, you know the experiences with the thing that you use the most, the microwave, creates expectations around you know, what this next device is going to use, even when you've never used this device before. It's all about putting things in and heating it up. There should be a start button here. There's no start button there. So we're gonna try a little test. Um, I didn't tell you that we're gonna be doing a pop quiz today, but I'm gonna see what you guys have learned. There's no studying for this one at all. So let's, let's try a little experiment here. If I put just a single line up on the screen, there's probably not a lot of immediate things that jump into your head. It could be a really lame tree. It could be the worst stick figure in the world. It could be the number one. But probably not a single thing jumps into your head. If I put one more line on it, it doesn't really mean much at all. Then I could put one more line on it. Can anybody shout out what popped into their head immediately when they saw this? Play button, or, or maybe forward. Anything besides play or forward? And did it kick in immediately? Or it's a triangle. Yes, it is a triangle. Very well. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. You've all passed the pop quiz today. This is a triangle. But it probably also triggered the word play in your head. I mean, if I show you another triangle, about the simplest shape as possible, besides a circle, that does not communicate play. But when you see a shape like this, it immediately conjures up, boom, interacting with technology, turning things on, turning things off, is you know, the notion of power in uh, interacting with, with technology, is you know, the, the human's control over technologies. That's where I start things to make things happen. I can stretch it out a little bit more. This triangle is still the same basic configura configuration, but that does not feel like a play symbol. This does feel like a play symbol. And it's amazing how once you see this icon over and over in your head, it just it burns into your brain and you immediately associate this shape with controlling technology. 
Here's another interesting example. This symbol, probably just over the last year, has inherited a whole new meaning. Um, before, okay, what's the first thing you think of when you see this? Fear? Okay, ah, it's the afternoon, yes, thank you very much. Um, so this has now become a symbol for identity, you know, via Twitter. You can almost like see this in somebody's name and you know what to do, you know, with that. This symbol is now adding its own meaning, um, a sense of identity. But let's come back to the play symbol. If I do one more thing, if I fill it up, it becomes a little bit more feeling like the play symbol that we, that we you know, see and know because it's usually a solid on a solid, it's not an outline. And of course, I've put two more lines on it, and that pretty much cements this thing in how we relate to technology. It's starting and stopping, it's controlling, it's playing, or it's pausing. Some really simple icons that began on tape recorders and reel-to-reels 50 years ago um, now has a lot more meaning. In fact, this meaning has evolved to the point where designers can do things like this. You could put a play and a pause symbol on a washing machine and it actually makes some kind of sense. Um, this is the start and stop button on, on a washing machine. You're playing the laundry. It's kind of a crazy idea, but the designers at LG figured out, well, let's just cut to the chase. People know what this symbol means. It's starting, it's pausing. Let's just go ahead and use it. So inherent uh, interfaces, inherent meaning from other interfaces. This is how we learn things. We experience one thing, and we apply that learning to something else. So what we need to do um, as designers who are creating interfaces is actually go out and to really notice what people are seeing out there. You know, how are people experiencing interfaces in their everyday lives to better understand you know, the challenges that they face when they're learning technologies so we can apply those learnings into the things that we create. We need to seek inspiration because you know, what do painters do? Painters look at paintings, writers read books. If we're creating interfaces, you gotta look at a gajillion interfaces everywhere they exist. Thermostats, alarm clocks, all the weird little stuff that we kind of forget about, but they shape how people relate to technology. And this is stuff that we carry around. You know, we're carrying phones in our pockets, we're carrying cameras, these things are everywhere. Um, common interactions, ATM machines, you know, are something that people, you know, use pretty frequently, and they kind of shape how people think. Um, just even the whole notion of, you know, buttons on the side, or lights coming on you know, to indicate this is where, where feedback is happening. There can be a lot of inspiration found in, in common interactions. And then there's stuff that we find that's funny. And things that usually are funny for a reason. So, you know, gas pumps are a total gold mine for just crazy, you know, ad hoc things that are created. So if you notice up here, here is an, an arrow. Come on, there's an arrow, pointing to an arrow, pointing to another arrow. And it's just kind of, it's just it's crazy because gas pumps are you know, really poorly designed. But this is stuff that people have to deal with on a daily basis. Inspiration from what scares the hell out of us. <laughs> this, is, um, this is like a metro, this is in, in DC, in the metro, and it's essentially, this is how you buy tickets for the train. And if you're in a hurry, and you've never done this before, you're missing your train. There's just no flat out way around it. <laughs> yeah, one, two, what was that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't really stop to figure it out. I do know that I return there on the top left. On the bottom left, that's where I return. Everything else I haven't quite figured out. 
That was a really crappy joke. Thank you very much. I'm here for you. I'll be here all hour. Then there's inspiration for what people do. When they get frustrated with technology and they make their own decisions, people adjust stuff. So here we have, you know, this is a fax machine. There's a, starting fa there's a starting black button. There's faxing in black and there's faxing in color. Well, somebody finally probably just realized, I have no idea what the hell that means. Just use this one on the left and be done with it. When people hack technology like this, it's an incredible insight into how people are thinking. Nope, well, that's the other one. Inspiration for mixing it up. One thing that we're seeing a lot now is information um, on TV, I should say, in sports, in weather, and things like that. Information being completely embedded into the context. You know, before, you know, sports scores, they would show the status way up here in the, you know, in the top bar, um, well, on the top. But it'd be really cryptic. You have no idea, you know, you have to like kind of, kind of process and think what's going on. Here directly, like right into the playing field, you kind of know the status of what's happening. So the more people see these types of things, the more they're going to expect these things to be uh, to show up in, in technology. So what we need to do is actually look for the language. We need to like you know, dig in and understand what people are seeing, just the elements of them, and kind of break it apart to understand how people think and how they look at it and what we can apply that into, uh, into our work. Because what's really interesting is we're creating a brand new language. All these symbols, the color red, the color green, different shapes, it's a, it's a whole new language for how we understand um, technology, how us and technology communicate back and forth. And this is a, and basically, um, if we do a test and we discover that something's stupid, we're not gonna use that um, on screen and forwards because nobody understood it. That's part of curating this language. Once we, if we notice something that works out pretty well, like the LG designers who adapted the Play Impossible to the washing machine, and it works, and we apply it over there, they're creating language. We're creating and curating a brand new language as we work. But language always changes. Language always evolves. Notice the back of this U-Haul truck. There is a mouse pointer painted on the back of a U-Haul truck with a web button, a very you know, 1997 web button sitting there on the back of the U-Haul truck. These pieces that used to be just a simple little mouse pointer is now becoming part of the advertising language. It's the yellow starburst you know, of our decade. Things are just kind of translating out across different mediums. So languages always evolve. So what we see a lot of times is, you know, symbols change. The meaning adapts over time. So here's a zero and a one, which is the classic thing for power. On, off, circle, line, input, output. It's kind of a mystery which one it really is, but zero and one typically means power. Once people understand that combination of symbols and meaning, you can extend it. So here's a close-up of a switch on a lamp. Now it has, no, no, no. Now it has the same two symbols, but adding a double line. In different contexts, that would look like a pause symbol. But in this context, you can almost immediately jump to off and low and high. This is one of Olivia's photos. Um, so here's another example of taking uh, symbols and meaning from one domain and translating it across into another domain. So a classic thing you see on ski slopes is the yellow circle, uh, the green circle is easy, the blue square is intermediate, and the black diamond is difficult. Well, the TSA has taken this exact same uh, system and applied it to getting through airport security, which is a completely different worlds 
but it's the exact same symbolic system. Green circle, you're going slow. Blue squares, you're kind of average, middle of the road. And if you're a speedster, if you're an expert, you're going to go on the black diamond. Um, meaning can also involve in kind of strange ways. Here's another close-up from a sports game. Sports score. If you notice over here, um, so who has possession? Possession of the ball. You can see Texas A&M has the ball, and here's the possession, and there's an arrow pointing at Texas A&M. So apparently they have the ball. But one of the strange thing about, and I think only college ball does this, is look at this bottom, possession arrow. So Texas A&M has the possession arrow. They don't actually have possession of the ball anymore. <laughs> they own the arrow. Um, so many can evolve in really strange ways as well. I, I still don't get that one. And you know, here's kind of a, a similar from what Dave Gray was talking about yesterday. Meaning can survive a very long time. Here's a table of contents from about 500 years ago. And I'm going to take a sip of water. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay, you're done. So meaning can survive a really long time. You know, when books first showed up, it was just a linear bunch of text. But after a while, they had to create some kind of system for jumping into, you know, into a credit table of contents. So what we see here is a short stack list of words. Um, common thing on the web, wow. And I didn't drink last night. I was a good boy. I didn't drink last night. Yeah, I've heard it's good for you. <clears throat> That's what Russ told me. <laughs> so when you see a short stack list of words on the web, it has the exact same meaning because we've been kind of inherited that from the table of contents, the exact same approach that was invented 500 years ago. So another example is we use green and red all the time. It's start, it's stop, it's good, it's bad, it's forward, it's backwards, it's start, it's cancel. But why? Why green and red? You know, bad is always negative, and green is always positive. Why do we use green and red? Well, of course, we've inherited that system from, from traffic lights. Green means go, red means stop. Even as far as the earliest ones, which I think is, might be 1908 in Cleveland, Ohio. Don't know the intersection. But uh, you know, this meaning you know, translates over time. We, we use the red and green, but we know the red and green's over here, and we apply it over here. But it didn't start here. It started in railroad. Railroad signals were using that, you know, 30 years prior. Railroad signals inherited that from, you know, boat traffic. So it's amazing how just, you know, from, from domain to domain to domain, how we see this language developing and we adapt to it and we reuse it. And um, this is kind of what we need to notice and how people are interacting with technology. So what we need to do is actually decode um, communication. We need to kind of break down so when we look around, we can understand uh, the different elements and what people are seeing. This is from Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. And he says, you know, communication is only effective when we understand the forms that communication can take. And that's what this is all about. So this is, again, we're talking about the language of interaction. And there's three kind of, there's three levels I'm, I'm looking at this. There's elements, and then there's relationships, and then there's principles. Elements are the individual pieces of interfaces. 
relationships or how they go together. Once you put them two things side by side, there's not a relationship between those two. And the principles, well, they're principles. So the elements are things you would expect. There's words, icons, colors, shapes, sounds, etc. All the different pieces and um, you know, physical aspects of the elements in the interface. Relationships are, when you start putting them together, those actually build meaning as well. There's zoning, layout, isolation, repetition, alignment, sequence, all these different things create different ideas in our mind when you put two things or three things or five things side by side. And principles are things that we almost you know, should you know, strive for and try to achieve when we're designing things. Clarity, perspective, purpose, delight, or even surprise. And we're not gonna go through the entire list, but I'm gonna try to point out some, some key examples along the way for how you can, um, when you go out and look at interfaces, just like how to actually look at things. So an element, one of the key ones is words. And we find labels are everywhere. They're attached to everything, and they can mean a lot of different things. They can be confusing, they can be simple, they can be straightforward, they can be obtuse. As an example, this is a, um, it's a, a push the button to hold the door um, open thing at the tramway going to the Getty Museum outside LA. And it's called door hold. So what it's actually doing is, is describing the button as opposed to, you know, say hold door to push the button. It's putting the priority on that physical thing instead of the action that you want to do. So hold door would probably you know, be a lot more straightforward, but instead they actually labeled the button in huge letters, door hold. It's actually kind of strange because all the other uh, labels were all verb based, and here they actually flipped it around. So another example, so words, you can make things really simple. Here's a refrigerator that you want to adjust the temperature. You can make it go warmer, you can make it go colder. Pretty straightforward. They could have done, it had a temperature label with an up, down, up button and a down button, up icon, a down icon, I should say. Instead, they just went for warmer and colder. Well, it was kind of strange though. They took this really nice, you know, simple system and they completely confused the hell out of it by adding turbo cool and express chill. And the subtlety between the two is, is pretty, it's pretty esoteric. I actually found the manual, and it's all about, you know, it still makes no sense. It's all about like chilling things down fast, and the other one was chilling thing, cooling things fast. I don't know, I, I couldn't quite figure it out. It's marketing gone bad. So redefining. So here's the, the chess book, chess book, that's awesome. The chess book in the face application. Um, the chess application in Facebook. And there's two different buttons for reload and refresh. And the challenge here, this of course, is in a web browser context. And depending on which one you use, reload and refresh mean the exact same thing. It just redoes the entire page to avoid which, which word it is. But in this case, reload, one of them does the board, the other one does the entire page. So what they've done is they've, they basically have squandered meaning from the past. They've squandered completely how people understand how to behave in this context, and they just doubled it up and made people think um, in, this, in this context. Shapes. So here's a, does this feel like a button to people? Or just maybe, what? It's a text field. I can just kind of start, start typing up there. Um, all if you do is like a really subtle thing, just around the corners, and it starts to have more of a button feel. It's just this weird thing that we've all kind of adapted to, where we've just learned over time to notice the patterns and how um, 
yeah, you see this, and you think text field. You round the corners just slightly, and it goes to button. Which is really tiny little differences, you know, as we perceive things, they mean different things. So the original, um, you know, the original buttons on the, the Mac way back when, one of the first buttons we actually, um, one of the first virtual buttons, as in the OK, we adapted that from, you know, physical buttons, which tended to be rounded, mostly because of manufacturing reasons, because it's really hard to make a perfect uh, corner in manufacturing. So rounded buttons became the way to, rounded rectangles became the way to say, this is actually where you interact with uh, the software. Then the web showed up, and the notion of what's a button became a little strange. Yes, it's a text link, it doesn't look like a button, but in reality, it's where you interact with the interface. So the color blue and the underline became to say, I am also a button, but just not a button as it's usually described. Or, you take it even further down in time, we able to just get rid of all the ornamentation. If you notice, you know, at the top, there's a, you know, primary navigation on the top, there's no ornamentation at all, there's no blue, they look just like normal words, but now we just know by position that that is actually navigation. We know, you know, by position, the fact that they're single words, kind of spaced out, that these are things that we can take action upon just by habit and practice that we've learned over time. And of course, it's getting to the point where it's not even going to be really clear at all what you can interact with. Ten years from now, there could be a square on this floor that I could tap to do something, and I could maybe right-click over here, but it wouldn't be obvious at all, but it, it could physically be built you know, right into the stage. Relationships. Let's start putting things together. So zoning. Once you put some bunch of different things together, you can actually create you know, kind of grid areas you know, for zones. Um, we see this a lot, you know, in common technology, well, for example, a microwave. You've got your number pad, you've got the different types of things that you can reheat on the left-hand side, um, and so on, start and stop. People are used to seeing zones. In fact, when we look at web pages, we probably mentally automatically put things into zones. So here's something from Amazon, and here's a page from Amazon a little while ago, and probably just glancing at it, what you probably do is you say, oh, that area over there, uh, they're just trying to tempt me. So, I just won't even look at that one. Uh, that stuff over there, no, nah, no, nah, they're trying to tempt me again. I'll just forget that one. Um, oh, that's where I browse for things. Oh, down there, they're trying to re-tempt me because this is stuff I've looked at before. Um, three books by George Lakoff. You can see what I was doing that day. Um, they're trying to re-tempt me here. Oh, another area, they're trying to promote something. And what I have left is not much. In fact, if I even do the top ones, there's more tempting up there. There's managing over there, and what I'm left is uh, Amazon search, the things that we use. They should just do the damn Google route, but anyway. Um, somebody's already done it. Priority. Priority is about the notion of when you look at an interface, what is the main one thing that grabs your attention? And ideally, that should be the main one thing that you're supposed to do at that point in time, or what you want to do next, or the priority of that particular product. For example, this little Disney phone, you know, the talk button. The talk button is huge, it's centered. This device is about talking, and the talk button is the most prominent. Go figure, but it works. So, you know, but the flip side is, you know, where is the importance? When on a microwave, you have to kind of hunt for stuff. Um, so kind of bizarreness. So you have start and stop down here, 
Yet, you know, popcorn and the other things are more heavily highlighted, they're more heavily surrounded. I mean, why was this design decision made? And what's amazing in all of this is all these things, somebody actually made design decisions along the way. And so we have to kind of like, you know, be careful of the decisions that we make. So why, you know, popcorn has a higher priority than, uh, than stop is kind of an interesting commentary on the American cuisine. So where is the focus? Sometimes there is no focus at all. So here's an HP, uh, an HP printer that has five start buttons. You can start black and color, copy separately, scan separately, and again, black, color, fax separately. There's no big fat button that just says, that's where I want to start. That's where I want to make things go. You have to hunt down for where you, for your, the start button that's appropriate to you. Another way to um, highlight priority is the use of color. I'm gonna pick on Amazon again. But you can tell they're using the color yellow as, you know, they, they tried a good approach. Let's use color to offset things to say this is where you actually should be interacting with first. The problem is though, when you do the same kind of thing over and over, the whole notion of priority, it just completely loses focus. Having three yellow things, having three priorities means that there is no priority. A good example is Flickr. What they've done is really nice. You have a huge continue button and a smaller, oh, maybe if you have to, in that one odd case way over there, you know, cancel. So the goal of priority is to create a hero in your interface. The one thing that's like, whether it is, it's the item that needs to be done next, it's the thing that should be done first, what is the most appropriate place to interact with in an interface that you're working on? A good example is TiVo. They may pause the hero of not only the remote control, but of the initial marketing campaign. It was the whole purpose of the product was all about pausing. So they were really consistent between the TV commercials and the remote control, which is a pretty impressive design language thought all the way through. Principles. So let's talk about clarity for a second. So one thing you can do is you can make things make more sense or you can make things a little bit more confusing. So here's an alarm clock with a big fat button on the bottom and who wants to take a guess on what the big fat button on the bottom should be doing? Snoozing. Or it's repeating alarm, as these guys did. Um, everybody knows it as snooze, so why not just go ahead and call it snooze? You know, why actually make a decision to call it repeat alarm? Is that repeating for tomorrow? Is that repeating later on? I don't know. But part of the problem was they added this feature called slumber, which I think is somewhere between nap and sleep. I haven't quite figured out what slumber means. But Problem is, if you create a feature called slumber, then snooze now starts sounding really strange. Because the two features, the two words, sound too similar. They're too similar in concepts to have slumber and snooze be together. So they sacrificed, you know, probably one of the main features of the, of the entire alarm clock, um, you know, for the slumber button. But snooze, snooze is slumber. Okay, yeah, I don't know. That's what's weird. I mean, slumber's here, repeat alarm. This is slumber off. Maybe this is like a nap button that also turns the nap thing off. And it's doing the snooze functionality. And I'm, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, repeat alarm, alarm reset, side by side. What I also like is on the very top is uh, the weather band. If you notice the weather band button, it's got this nice finger divot in it. And of course, a finger divot, you know, from an industrial design perspective, means I need to get to that button really, really fast. Um, I need to find it in my sleep, not even look at it. And it's for the weather band. And I live in Portland. It rains. 
I don't need to know that it's raining that fast. Um, I never need to access the weather with that amount of speed to know if it's going to be drizzling or misting today. But of course, I thought a little bit more and talked to some people on the East Coast. This is great for tornadoes, and it's great for hurricanes and situations like that. Earthquake, you don't need it because you're going to feel the earthquake before you hit the radio. But for like a tornado or hurricane type environments, this is uh, actually interesting. So it's a geographically based button. Uh, more things on clarity. This is the exact same radio, which I really, really love. So they sacrifice the meaning. So there's, this is on the side. The second alarm, you could do two things. You could set it to buzz, rad, or off. And what I love about this image is you know the designer wanted to make things look consistent. They wanted to have three characters, three characters, and three characters. Well, sure, makes sense. There's room for the I and the O in radio. There's plenty of room for, there's plenty of room for the second Z and buzz, but a design decision was made for the sake of beauty and, uh, and knocking down functionality. Rad, I want the rad alarm. But only on the second one. I don't want the alarm one to be rad, just the second one. So another way to do it is like anticipating the question. Um, one thing that we're kind of seeing more is, um, okay, one thing I love about this is it's one of those you know, kind of collapsible measuring cups. And the problem with the collapsible measuring cups is you have no physical way to gauge which is the quarter, which is the half, and which is the one full cup because they're all flat. So they, they made the smart decision making the, the letters or numbers just huge so we need to kind of glance in the drawer because the question's gonna come up. Which one is it? We'll just own up to it, make it huge, and actually anticipating how people are gonna be thinking about um, going for that quarter cup of sugar which is really similar to meaning from a distance. Um, the whole idea of at a distance. Wow, I just completely lost my thread, that's awesome. Um, just communi communicating the notion of in big, huge, bold characters, symbols, and so on, this is what's happening at this point in time. Men go here, women go there. Don't mix them up. Of course, look like you could smoke in the women's room, but not in the men's room. <laughs> I just now noticed that one. 10 minutes. So another big fat, pun, um, big fat, you know, characters. This was Mux Tape, RIP Mux Tape. One thing that was beautiful about this was it's huge letters. Here's what's happening. Um, another notion of clarity is action, building the results into the direct action. This is, uh, of course, you know, soda pop vending machines that you just push the huge button, it tells you exactly what you're gonna get. So if you know Hulk want Dr. Pepper, Hulk get Dr. Pepper. There's no trying to find the button. You just slam it, and that's what you get. Another good thing to shoot for is perspective. And one good thing about perspective is, are you building a product or are you building a system? These are two different ATMs. And you could tell that they were built by the exact same manufacturer because the industrial design, the buttons, and the shapes, and everything is purely identical. Yet they did not take the next step of making consistent the controls on the right-hand side. So enter is in different places. It's on the top or towards the bottom. Cancel is in different places. Clear changes colors, for, of all things. And they could have very easily built into the whole system, this is how your, um, your ATM should be designed, as opposed to leaving this free form and letting uh, customers, in the end, fend for themselves to hunt down for what they need to hunt down for. Another notion on perspective, you know, is the thing you're putting in there really necessary? 
This is the microwave that we have at home. And I hate this microwave. And I hate this microwave because well, the one challenge is a power blips out pretty often. So maybe about once a month, the power will blip, and this thing will completely lose its, uh, lose its memory, and I have to reset it. Okay, I have to reset the clock. That's fine. But the microwave also forces me to reset the date. And I've tried. I've tried thinking of a single situation where my microwave would actually care about what date it is. Um, I need to reheat some ground meats on October 12th. I don't know. <laughs> but I have to do this every single It forces me to enter the date every single time the power goes out. And even the setting process is kind of bizarre. But there's just no reason this functionality should be in this product at all. Is that really necessary? No, it's not. So this is what people deal with on an everyday basis. You know, are these things really necessary in the interfaces that they have to deal with on a daily basis? It's all about you know, perspective and appropriateness. Can we de design for surprise and, and delight? This is in the, the airport in Portland. And one common thing is when you're cruising around a parking lot, whether it's an airport, a mall, wherever, it's a huge parking lot, you're looking for a parking space. One thing that they built into the system was letting you know there are 12 spaces in this direction. There's 25 spaces in that direction. It's completely genius. I love it. Because um, you go up there, you immediately know, I can go over here, and I'm done. And one thing that's um, not exactly obvious, the way they do that, if you look at the string of lights above the cars, green, red, 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 green, red, green, red, it doesn't take very much processing at all to notice, to know that green spots are where I can park, and red spots are where I cannot. It's already full. And of course, those exact same sensors are the ones that are feeding the numbers um, you know, over in the, in the aisleways. So can we take you know, things, systems that people know and people use, the red and green, people know what those things mean, they've internalized that it's usually good or bad, um, and put them in a new context to create a little bit of surprise or delight. Okay. So basically, you know, go out there. Uh, I want to encourage you to go out there, play, interact with technology, you know, do what you do. But as you're doing it, you know, stop for a second and pause and just notice and just try to like dissect it in your head. Try to understand what design decisions were made in those interfaces and try to pick the good ones and avoid the bad ones as you're going forward. And that's it. Language of interaction. Thank you. And I randomly blog the stuff at pushclicktouch.com. And you can find me somewhere uh, at, at Builder on Twitter, of course. <laughs>